when I talk about curve benders being so incredible, so profound, so insightful, so useful to our personal and professional growth, the most consistent question that often comes up is where are these magical, mystical creatures? Where do I find them? How do I find them? By the way, can I meet one this afternoon? Because I've got a really important meeting tomorrow. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Noor here. I don't know if you know or not, but today is the launch of my highly anticipated, boy, four years of research, over 100 executive interviews, uh, my 11th book called Curvebenders. I am over the moon in uh, having at some point spoken enough, read enough, talked enough, coached and consulted enough about an idea where you finally feel like you have something to say. So the book is available today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, obviously our own website, and almost anywhere else you buy books. I would love to have you come join us in what I believe uh, is a curve benders movement, uh, which is how do we focus on fewer, more intentional, more strategic, more quantifiable relationships to not just help with short-term performance execution and results, but really create a profound impact in shaping the managers, the leaders, the human beings that we become. So the best way to do that is norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com slash curvebenders. It's a landing page we've created uh, to tell you more about the ideas in the book. There's an opportunity for you to order a copy, uh, join the newsletter. And more importantly, we've built a private community called the NOR Forum. It is uh, where I am every day. It's free. We're up to about 2,000 people so come join us. Come be a part of the conversation. Come proactively, not just read what I've cat researched and captured in the book, but come share your stories, your experiences, the curve benders in your life. I believe it's a, a huge opportunity for us in the post-pandemic world to learn and grow through this idea that relationships can have a profound impact on our personal and professional growth. So again, Nor group, N-O-U-R group.com slash curve benders, plural, or norgroup.com slash forum. Come join us. Come be a part of this curve benders book launch this week. 
Welcome to this 59th episode of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm David Knorr, your host. I'm delighted you're here. If you've listened for some time, you know it's an exciting day for me because today we're launching my 11th book, Curvebenders. And in this episode, I thought I'd share with you probably the most common question I get asked, which is, how do I find these magical, mystical people? If they're in fact... Some of my most profound relationships help me with a blueprint, with a roadmap, with a guide to where and how do I find these people. So I think it's important to take a step back. And you may have heard me say that my work on relationship economics, co-create, and curve benders are my Star Wars trilogy. And if you're curious what that means, and if you've ever seen the Star Wars movie, any of these books will certainly stand, any of these books and ideas will certainly stand alone on their own, but you're going to be able to understand Luke Skywalker a heck of a lot better if you watch episodes four, five, and six. So in relationship economics, crazy to believe, back in 2008, I talked a lot about how to be more intentional how to be more strategic, how to be more quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in. If you turn everyday contacts through those investments into mutual value creation, mutual interest, you feel like you're better off because of that person, they become a relationship. Invest in that relationship over time, sustain it, nurture it, relate, request value, deliver value, exchange value, prioritize them, and they go from just being a relationship to ideally a strategic relationship. And that's really leads us to then co-create, which is my most recent book, where I talked a lot about bridging that relationship creation to relationship capitalization. Never use relationships. But how do I materially improve my condition? How do I dramatically elevate my performance, execution, and results through this idea of investing in relationships. And in Co-Create, I said two or more parties can come together and not just buy, not just quote-unquote partner, not just outsource, not just internally develop, not just acquire, but co-create a new value, a new market opportunity, a new go-to-market strategy, a new market reach that neither party could have accomplished by themselves. So co-creation is that ultimate investment in the long tail success of a relationship. And the easiest way to think of co-creation is our kids. Two or more partners come together and bring hopefully the best of themselves. And those of you with kids will attest to this idea that they never stop being your kids at 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. They're always your kids. And you have a vested interest in their long-term success. So how do we bring those ideas into our business relationships and co-create, profit, innovate, strategically collaborate on net new growth opportunities? I don't know of an organization that can cut its way to growth. So I'm always intrigued by, I'm always interested in, I'm always looking for leaders who, beyond the defensive posture, take that offensive approach, take that doubling down on, still prudent, but doubling down on that market opportunity, 
with the right talent, in the right role, with the right capabilities and the right priorities and the right resources to really go take advantage of that growth, of that growth potential. So in Curve Vendors, it made a lot of sense to really look at the future of work, but not just how we work, but also how we live, how we play, how we give to others. In essence, in the future of our lives, what's the role of those strategic relationships? And the more executives I interviewed, the more I gravitated towards this idea of certain relationships come into our lives that have a profound impact on us. They leave this indelible imprint on not just what we accomplish in the short term, but unequivocally, the manager, the leader, the executive that we become over a decade or two. Think back at that college professor, right? That one course you took that set your academic journey. That first manager or early manager that took you under his or her wings and taught you not just a product or a service or the market we serve or any of those periphery, important, but really on the periphery and really focused on how to be more an empathetic leader, how to be a more compassionate leader, how to listen more intently, how to separate your emotions from your decision-making, how to, in essence, show up on brand very consistently. Those relationships are the ones that I call curve benders because they change our direction and ultimate destination through their wisdom, through their sage advice, the consistent common thread that when I asked executives, can you think of those who've had a profound impact on shaping you as a leader? The consistent response was they saw the best version of me. They saw this latent value in me that I couldn't see myself. They pushed me to learn and grow and leap. And when I scraped my knees, they kind of got me up and got me on my way again. And they believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself, even when I didn't have a reason to believe in myself. They saw, they had the foresight to realize the manager, the leader that I could become. They saw not only my incredible strengths, but they also saw my growing edges. And in their caring, loving way, they came and they put the arm around me and said, you're brilliant, but as long as you're abrasive, you're never going to let others see that brilliance. Sage advice, profound advice that tends to stay with us for years to come. So as you can imagine, and hence the title of this session, when I talk about curve benders being so incredible, so profound, so insightful, so useful to our personal and professional growth, the most consistent question that often comes up is where are these magical, mystical creatures? Where do I find them? How do I find them? By the way, can I meet one this afternoon? Because I've got a really important meeting tomorrow. And in the Matrix movie vernacular, there is no blue or red pill. You don't have a crystal ball. You're not going to know someone is a curve bender in the first five minutes you're sitting down for a cup of coffee. So in this session, I want to talk about seven steps I've identified in the Curve Bender's book 
as your path to meeting potential curve benders. I want to go through each of the seven. And if you've listened to me speak, if you know anything about me and my work, I'm a content presenter. So I'm going to share a lot of good insights with you. And we'll turn the show notes from this session into a post and I'll put it on my blog and I'll put it in our Norform community. But these seven steps are critical. So here we go. Step number one is personal foundation. You have to begin. If you want to meet these profound relationships, if you want to meet those that can dramatically change your direction, destination, you have to begin with a healthy self. There's a reason the airline safety videos tell us to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first before we help someone else. So you have to begin with this personal foundation, in essence, a mindset. A mindset that is, I believe, non-linear in your growth. A mindset that says, the day I stop learning and growing is the day I become complacent and I'm no longer valuable to my biggest asset, which is my portfolio of relationships. So lifelong learning is no longer a luxury. It is unequivocally a necessity. And you have to embrace that growth mindset. And I'm not talking about passively reading newsletters. I'm talking about proactively reading books, attending learning opportunities, conferences, events. Some of you know, pre-pandemic, in 2019, I delivered 62 global speaking engagements. And yet, I made the time to attend at least one event a quarter where I would sit in the audience, I'd pay, sit in the audience, had no responsibility whatsoever, nobody knew who I was or cared, and I just became consumer of great insights. And I got to tell you, when you hear Colin Powell, when you hear General McChrystal, when you hear Condoleezza Rice, when you hear Jim Collins, and my litmus test is one idea, one unique perspective, one experience, one story they share that I feel like I learned something from and I can go and internalize it, synthesize it, and apply in my life, I'm better off. It is unequivocally worth the price of admission for that event or that learning opportunity. In midst of launching my own book, Curvebenders, I've been immersing myself in this idea of ecosystems and platform thinking because I believe it is the next wave of disruption in terms of business models. So you have to start with this idea of a growth mindset, but you can't stop there. I think you see it all around us, digital. You have to lead with digital. And by the way, I'm kind of eating my own cooking. I'm on a three-year journey to digitally transform our 20, this is year 19 of my practice. So we're turning a lot of my ideas and ideas in my books into quizzes and assessments and tools. And some of it is for internal use to make our work more operationally efficient. Other are for clients. So digital mindset says we're going to lead with both digitizing, but also digitalizing what we do, how we do it, how we go to market. Number three in that mindset is one of entrepreneurial. I don't care what logo is on your business card. You have to start by acting like you own the place. You run the place. It's your Spend the money like it's yours. Is that the best, most prudent investment? I, I don't think I'm cheap, but I grew up in a middle-class family, and I'm frugal. I don't like wasting money because I work hard for it. 
And that is just one facet of thinking entrepreneurial. Thinking entrepreneurial is about talent matters more than ever before. And the cost of a bad hire is something like 10 to 12x their annual salary. So that entrepreneurial mindset says you have to think, feel, behave like a startup, like a small business, like a growth-oriented company. But if you start with that personal foundation of that mindset, it leads to then step number two. So one, personal foundation. Step number two, professional commitment. I just deeply believe most people are unwilling to do the incredibly difficult work necessary to become world-class. Why? It is hard work. You looking yourself in the mirror and committing to being the absolute best at whatever it is that you're doing. I don't care if you're an administrator. I don't care if you're a payroll clerk. I don't care if you're a project manager, a leader, or a senior executive. That professional commitment to not just meeting expectations, but exceeding existing expectations of you goes back to never settling, never being okay with that's good enough. I I believe on the other side of this pandemic, right, mediocre and good enough and that's okay and those are the enemy. They're certainly my personal enemy. And don't confuse happiness. I'm happy but I'm not content with good enough. I want to commit to being the very best that I can be. And again, my litmus test is, can you look in the mirror at end of the day and simply ask, did I do my best? I I learned this from Marshall Goldsmith. It's an active question tracker. Did I do one thing to enhance my brand today? Did I, did I reach out to my relationships? Did I exercise? Did I appreciate one person and one experience? Did I listen intently and empathize with others? Did I completely avoid multitasking? Right? Did I spend quality time with my, with my spouse and my kids? Did I watch one TED video? Did I read something interesting? Did I invest in my faith? Did I do one thing to be of service to others on a daily basis? Did I do my best? So number two is professional commitment. One, personal foundation. Two, professional commitment. You do that. You double down on being unequivocally the very best of what you do and how you do it. You are very likely to run into, to stumble on a catalyst. And, and I'm going to take you back to your first chemistry class you ever took, right? Remember catalyst being a chemical reaction? You combine two chemicals and you got the, hopefully not the blowing up or, right? But it's, it's an awareness. It's awareness of either something is missing in your journey or There's something greater you aspire to gain, reach. There's got to be more in this job. There's got to be more to me than just showing up and doing the routine every day. There's, There's a higher calling. Have you met seemingly successful people who feel there's something missing in their lives? They haven't figured out that calling. I I distinctly remember taking my wife to, um, to a speaking engagement. This is probably 10, 12 years ago. And, um, she was in the audience 
She heard me speak. She pulls me aside afterwards and says, I think you found your calling. You found what you were meant to do. Which is, I'm in the ideas business. Look at scenarios. Really understand. Really inquire. Really figure out what I believe to be the challenges and opportunities. Come up with potential solutions, a hypothesis, go work with clients who are struggling with those things and get a chance to test those. And even if you're completely wrong, learn from it and then share those ideas in your books, in your speeches, in your consulting, in your education sessions, in your coaching. But that catalyst, again, it's first and foremost, it's an awareness It's an awareness that there's either something missing. I'm good at what I do. I love what I do, but there's something missing. Or there's an upside. I want to reach greater heights. I want to do more. I want to have a bigger impact. I want to speak at Davos. I want to speak at TED. I want to get involved with the Aspen Institute. I want to get involved with Milken Institute. I want to get involved with the World Economic Forum. Those are my aspirations. Those are my catalysts. And I want to get more involved with Thinkers 50. And genuinely feel like a colleague of people I admire, like Hal Gregerson and Roger Martin and Amy Edmondson and Amy Webb and, right, Jeff Parker and a whole lot of other people that you read about and you admire for not just their ideas, but their passion for learning and growth and the impact they try to have in where and how they show up. So one, personal foundation, two, professional commitment, three, a catalyst. When that spark happens, When that catalyst happens, when that awareness happens, it leads you to step four, which is immersive inquiry. And immersive inquiry is fanning that spark to inquire, to explore, to experiment, to go pursue the possible, the potential, and the path forward. So this is how books work for me. They typically start with a question, and Curvebender is no different. The question was, I'm 53, what will the next decade of my work look like? And I actually started this, some people think it has something to do with the pandemic. Four years ago, when I published Co-Create, I kept thinking about beyond great relationships, beyond strategic relationships, there are these profound ones that are far and few in between, but they they just have such an impact in our lives. I wonder who those are, where those are. So four years of research and interviews and thinking about and reading about and writing and talking to people. I actually gave my first Curvebenders keynote, I want to say two and a half years ago. The book hadn't been written. There wasn't even an outline, but there was a lot of questions. And, and my keynote was a whole bunch of questions that talked about this idea. I distinctly remember bringing up to one of my Curvebenders, Bruce Kasanoff, we were having sushi in Park City, Utah. And I brought it up over dinner. And and Bruce started asking me a whole bunch of questions that I didn't have, in his typical way, a whole bunch of questions I didn't have answers to. 
But you know what? I took, I think, two pages of notes at dinner. And that's an example of this immersive inquiry. You start to jump in with both feet. And you can't soak enough about this topic or this approach or this idea or this next step. Like, I want to become a senior vice president in my company. I want to become a PL leader. I want to go run that geography, that division, that business unit. Immersive inquiry is all about jump in with both feet to figure out what will it take to succeed, not just survive, but thrive in that role. How can you be unequivocally your best? What is the best version of you look like in that role, in that position, in that next phase, whatever that next phase of your life is? And just like I believe you're never too young or too old to find mentors or become a mentor, I refuse to believe 53-year-olds can't be startup founders. Well, startup world is really for those in their 20s because it's such hard work and takes long hours, please. 90 is the new 60. So when there's passion, when there's belief, when I've never believed lighting a fire under anyone lasts. It's lighting a fire within someone, and it starts with you. So when you light a fire within yourself to go pursue that next version of you, the next best version of you, that next growth opportunity, that next proverbial phase, growth phase in your life, that next season of your life, I I refuse to believe age. Age is a number. Age is a mindset. That immersive inquiry, I believe, will get you there. So one, personal foundation. Two, professional commitment. Three, catalyst. Four, this idea of immersive inquiry. So now you've immersed yourself in this topic. That is when five shows up. You ready? Strategic relationships. You start to nurture your existing relationships. And, and, I, and I'm doubling down. I'm about to write the third edition of Relationship Economics, complete rewrite of my seminal work. And everybody wants more. I want more. I want to meet more people. I want to find more relationships. I want more accounts. I want more other people I need to meet. What if we started with existing relationships you already have? I'm thinking about, some of you know, I've got six, seven other books in my head in various stages. And one of them I've been thinking about for a number of years, this idea of inner circle. Think about it. Athletes have them. Entertainers have them. Politicians have them. A lot of senior executives have them. Why not you? Who are those incredibly trusted, hopefully intelligent, hopefully engaging, hopefully older than you, perhaps, wiser than you? They bring a certain unique set of experiences and kind of sage wisdom to every conversation. I genuinely love connecting with these people over a cup of coffee. Because I leave kind of re-energized. They refill my cup. Not only they heighten my intellectual curiosity. Not only every visit I take notes and I cannot wait to reconnect with them again. But they push me to be the best version of me. So nurturing your existing relationships and sharing with those relationships the summary, the insights, the aha moments, the dopamine hits from your, your immersive inquiry. Here's what I'm thinking. 
What do you think? Here's what I'd love to do next. What do you think it would take to get there? Why not me for that next opportunity? Why not me to lead that next initiative? Why not me to go lead that new business unit? By the way, I've been reading about this company and I think it would be a fabulous acquisition. Yeah, but you're just a director level. Why not me? If it's a good idea, I'd love to pursue it. By the way, none of us have all the answers. So do not go to those relationships. Do not go to those new connections with, you sit there, you be quiet. Let me tell you how smart I am. <laughs> right? Marshall Goldsmith says this all the time. Stop trying to prove to people how smart you are. Instead, convey your credibility to the questions you ask. I've been researching this topic. I've been thinking about this topic. I've been thinking about this role. I've been thinking about what it will take to succeed in that role. I'd love to ask your perspective. I'd love to learn more about your lens. I'd love to hear what you think. What am I not asking? I'm never afraid of what I don't know. I'm always afraid of what I don't know I don't know. And I think dad drove into me. Life is way too short for you to make all those mistakes yourself. Learn from others. So one, personal foundation. Two, professional commitment. Three, this idea of a catalyst. Four, immersive inquiry. Five, strategic relationships. And when you go to those relationships, the existing ones with, here's what I'm thinking, what do you think? One of your questions should be, do you know of others or who else do you know that might be thinking around the same idea? What you're after, I think Malcolm Gladwell calls it your watering hole. Maybe it's Adam Grant. They call it your watering hole. You're looking for other like-minded professionals who are passionate about this topic. Amy Edmondson is passionate about psychological safety. And in her book, Fearless Organization, she talks about it. Hal Gregerson is passionate about great questions. So go find your watering hole. Go find others who are thinking, doing, pursuing the same thing. In the book, I actually write about Einstein. Einstein had a group of other scientists that without ego, they would get together on a regular basis for meals, for conversations, for picnics, and they would simply share their ideas without asking other people to sign a 30-page non-disclosure agreement. Right? So those strategic relationships are your chance to identify those that are passionate about, I call them relationship on-ramps. Those that think alike, those that are pursuing the same journey, those that may think very different than you do. But you have to have some commonality. You have to have some common traits or common aspects you're pursuing together. So those strategic relationships then as you interact with them, you go to step six, which is agile execution. This isn't a project management agile versus waterfall thing. This is about clarity of your intent, committing the bandwidth, executing with agility through this iterative process. Your relationships need to see you internalize, synthesize, and apply those ideas. Apply the wisdom. Apply the insights they've shared with you. When and only when you do that. And they, you can't just say it. They have to, you have to demonstrate it. They have to experience it. They have to see that you took their advice. 
You don't have to completely agree with all of it. You don't have to be a puppet and do exactly what they say, but you've internalized it as one data point. You've internalized it as one facet of your journey. And that's six, which is agile execution, which leads to seven, connection cadence. You have to consistently recalibrate your direction, your destination. You have to consistently ask for and create a feedback loop mechanism with those relationships. And soon, if you continue to invest in those really strategic relationships, soon one or two or more will elevate themselves, will raise their hand, will self-select, will invest in you. Invest time, invest effort, invest their wisdom, invest their relationships. And those, my friends, are your potential curve benders. This still does not happen overnight. But if you invest in these seven steps, and the investment is in yourself. If you embrace these seven steps, you dramatically increase your opportunity to identify engage, influence, embrace, and capitalize on these relationships that are going to power your reinvention, that are going to power what I call in the book your nonlinear growth. And make no mistake about it, this, this is not optional. In the future of work, again, if you pick up a copy of Curvebenders, the entire second chapter is on 15 forces. I've also recorded a previous podcast. 15 forces that dramatically impact the way we'll work and live and play and give. And if you want to remain relevant through these constant disruptions, that growth, that personal reinvention, that S-curve is no longer optional. It is an absolute necessity. And your best path up that hockey stick instead of the 45-degree truck ramp that hockey stick, that nonlinear growth are a few but profound relationships, are a few but really strategic relationships that are going to push you beyond your comfort zone. In my experience, no growth ever comes from a place of comfort. And these relationships who push you to think, I don't think we make enough time to think. So these relationships that push you to think beyond even your own perceived limitations they push you to imagine. They push you to bring out the best version of you are the ones that you're going to thank. You're going to remember and you're going to thank for the rest of your certainly professional life if you also don't realize they have an incredible impact on your personal life. So that's it for this episode on the path to your curve benders. I hope the seven steps have been useful to you. Again, we'll turn the show notes into post so you can see the image and uh, what I hope for you is to internalize these ideas and find ways to apply them in your own life. Uh, don't forget, I'm active in our North Forum community, so come join us at norgroup.com slash forum. Thanks for listening. By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. 
Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag Curvebenders for the latest update. I hope you enjoyed this session on your path to curve benders. Again, I've been thinking about these ideas for a number of years. And just a quick, this is the NOR summary notes. Hopefully in three minutes or less, I can summarize the key ideas in this episode for you. So I highlighted seven steps to your curve benders. As a reminder, I talked about relationship economics, my first book, co-create my book number 10, and then curve benders as my Star Wars trilogy. Any of the ideas in these books, any of the books themselves can stand alone. They're just going to make a lot more sense if you can invest the time and effort to read all three of them. But in curve benders, when I tell curve, you know, people that curve benders are these incredible strategic relationships that have a profound impact on shaping not just our direction, but our destination. The single biggest question I get is who are they? Where are they? How do I find them? You don't have a crystal ball. None of us do. You cannot identify a curve bender out of the gate. What you can do is do the right things. Be that incredible person curve benders want to meet, want to associate with, want to invest time, effort, and relationships in. And I outlined seven steps as a path to meeting your curve benders. One, personal foundation, uh, really developing a growth, digital, and an entrepreneurial mindset. Two, professional commitment, exceeding existing expectations of you, three, catalyst and awareness of either something missing or something you aspire to gain, that next best version of you, four, immersive inquiry, so fanning that spark, that's the catalyst to explore the possible, the potential, and the path forward, five, strategic relationships, nurturing your existing relationships who hopefully know you, like you, trust you to create new connections. Six, agile execution. That's clarity of intent. That's commitment, you know, committing to bandwidth and with agile iterative process executing. Seven, connection cadence, consistently recalibrating your direction, your destination through these strategic relationships. Again, we'll turn the show notes into uh, an article in the blog and in the North Forum. Come join us. I'm also going to be on LinkedIn Live today at noon Eastern, sharing some of these ideas. I'll show you what this image looks like. Hopefully, you'll join us. Just LinkedIn, search my name, David Knorr. Come join us with your questions, your comments, your examples, your stories. Would love to meet you and answer your questions online. Thanks for listening. Look forward to seeing you uh, either on LinkedIn Live later today or in the next episode. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag Curve Vendors to keep you posted on our latest progress.